Welcome to the Canteen Podcast, a show for anyone who has feelings about food. Join host Ali Houston as guests open up about their relationship with food and their thoughts on nutrition. Nourish yourself with the Canteen Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Canteen Podcast. I'm your host Ali Houston. Our guest today is Darren Connell. He's an old friend of mine, an extremely gifted performer and an all-round good guy. Check him out on your social media for weird and wonderful hilarity. Here he gets deep into what food means to him. I hope you enjoy. Please don't forget to jump over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. Every five-star review will get a voucher for 25% off at paleocanteen.co.uk, which is my company and the show's sponsor. That's 25% off at paleocanteen.co.uk when you leave a five-star review. It's appreciated. Thanks and enjoy the show. Okay, we're live. Uh, welcome. We've got with us today Darren Connell, who's a Scottish stand-up comedian and actor who's maybe best known as uh, for playing Bobby in the BBC mockumentary Scott Squad. Welcome. Thank you for having me on, guys. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Good we've, to have you here. We've known each other for probably since 2011 or something. Yes, it's a couple of years now, mate. Yeah. A while. Yeah, and in a past life I was doing stand-up comedy, depending on who you ask, <laughs> and that's where we met. Yeah, we met in the circuit. On the circuit. And then you disappeared for a while, and then you reappeared looking really good, you know, <laughs> probably because you stopped doing stand-up for a while. <laughs> you were into your fasting, and I remember you were taking vitamin D and yeah. wee five-minute sunbeds and stuff. That's right, aye. And I was like, oh, aye. What's the, what's the deal with this guy? Yeah. But I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know why you stopped doing stand-up. You were very funny. Oh, thanks. Uh, and you were certainly... What You know, when other acts were talking about you, your name was always getting mentioned. So I take it you just get a girlfriend or a better job or something. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny, actually, because I think about it a lot. Um, you know what it's like? Yourself doing places like The Stand in Glasgow. Yeah where it's maybe a Saturday night or a Tuesday when it's the, the cheap student night and it's filling up and you know you're going to go on and you know your act goes across pretty well. So the anticipation of that, like I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it and then when you actually do it and it's good, um, it's such a great feeling. I got to, I kind of got to the stage where, because like my act at the time was... Um, kind of weird I suppose, like sort of deadpan, like, it culminated in me doing a, a Edinburgh Fringe show that was a musical about um, a fictional pet clown, so it was pretty strange kind of yeah. kind of material and um, I suppose like at the time when I was doing all that I wasn't in the best place mentally sometimes, not all the time but sometimes I was kind of struggling a bit. And I don't know if like doing all that was kind of 
partly an attempt to deal with that, like writing to get it out of my system or something, or make sense of anxiety, depression, kind of why the world wasn't very enjoyable at times. Yeah. And um, and then, like you mentioned how I'd started to take vitamins and, uh, you know, get out in the sun or go in some beds when it was winter here and look after myself a bit. And it was weird, like, changing the way I ate and doing stuff like that, like that really changed my kind of attitude on all sorts of things and I got much happier yeah and uh, I wasn't really connected to that weird material or attitude anymore so I was doing it all the way through up until November 2016 where I, uh, I was in the final of this competition the Scottish Comedian of the Year competition and uh, the promoter Alan does you know tries to make the final in his cool a place as possible and that year it was the Barrowlands so I was I was really excited to play the Barrowlands so if anyone was not from Glasgow it's like I mean what's the Barrowlands it's like maybe the most famous venue in Scotland yeah for yeah, music yeah. people like David Bowie have played there and like going all the way back it's yeah all the greats everyone will know what it is even yeah. if you if you don't come from Scotland if you said uh-huh. the Barrowlands they would I'm sure they would know yeah lots of it's spring of war yeah Aye, the bouncy floor, aye. Yeah, and the stars. Outside, yeah. Ah, yeah, it's a great facade outside. Yeah, neon sign. And so that I kind of, I was with lots of my pals on the the bill, like, you know, Stephen Buchanan, Roscoe McClelland, CMB, Mark Jennings, and Stuart McPherson, all that mob. And it was just such a great night. And it had come at a time when I was kind of in that happy stage and I was doing, um, I was in, you know, full tilt into reading about nutrition and all the rest of it. I just kind of thought, that's not, I'm not going to get a better gig than that. Playing to whatever it was, 600 people, where it went pretty well with all my pals. And I thought, right, that's it. For just now, that's it. So I'm I'm not ruling out doing it again, but I think it would be the way I would express myself doing stand up would be totally different. I don't even know what that would look like now. Yeah, I understand. I understand where, what you mean by that. Because people can be quite. That's why I've always liked you because I've always had an obsession with nutrition and trying to lose weight and being healthier. And I've noticed a change in me since I've stopped drinking that I would always say, oh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the fat guy or I would do fat jokes. But see, now that I'm in a peaceful place, I don't go to that area. Mm-hmm. So, or when I do do it as a joke, I'm like, I'm not selling this. This is not, this is not me anymore. Or I used to always say, oh, I've not got a girlfriend or that kind of angle, it was always obviously a joke, mm-hmm. but now when I do it, it just doesn't seem natural anymore. So for, for both of you, would you say that some part of your comedy was coming from an unhealthy place? Or? Yeah. Yeah, definitely, and I think I, my take on it is that the, from the audience point of view, they can connect with feeling inadequate right. and are just happy, there's two things maybe, they're just happy it's someone else. And 
they connect with it and laugh out of relief because it's not just them. Right, so it's kind of cathartic. Yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah. Plus the circuit's not a healthy place either. Yeah. I don't think, I heard Frankie Boyle say this one time, nothing to do with politics, the actual physical process of being a stand-up comedian is not healthy. Right. To experience that intense nervousness and adre- adrenaline, it just cannot be healthy for you. I mean, I'm a professional now. I don't get nervous. I used to get nervous maybe four days before a gig. I get nervous five minutes before I get caught on stage now. But mm. it's the same nervousness. It's the same, what am I doing with my life? Why am I doing this? I'm rattling. I'm fighting being sick. I'm, really? My knees are clinking together with nerves. So, so I you're kind of invaded by self-doubt and stuff, eh? I don't even know if it's self-doubt. I think it's just a physical response to doing that. Because okay. as soon as I'm up there, I love it. Talking yeah. into the mic. But it's everything else. I'm just like, why am I doing this with my life? Uh, it can't be... I don't think it can be physically good for you. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's, you get this like surge of fight-or-flight stress hormones. Right. And it can make you quite... Um, capable in the moment so if you're used to riding it then you can be wittier if some if someone's heckling you or whatever because you're so nervous right yeah if you've got if you've got your if you're kind of used to it and you're able to stay on course and not be thrown by someone doing that then it can actually you know obviously that's how you're designed by evolution is if something scary happens, you should be able to cope with it in the moment. Mm. But then... But you've got to cope with it in a comedic way. Yeah, I know, I know. And the, downs- and the downside is, is that afterwards, you crash, you know? Oh, and you start craving. Like, it, it, it makes you crave bad foods, I think. 100%. Oh, yeah. well, I was going to say, I was going to say, that, or ask, does the, the nerves at the beginning, is it, uh, is it compensated for by the feeling afterwards it's a elation or anything afterwards yeah it's pure relief I mean it depends how the gig goes if you do well it's amazing you feel fantastic yeah I'm quite lucky now that I haven't had a really bad gig in a while I've had passable gigs and stuff when I thought I could have done better but I haven't died in my arse in a long long time I think that's just because I do it all the time now and I can deal with or see a situation when it's not going that way. Mm-hmm. And plus I can take it better if I die in Mars now as well, because I'm not, it's like a chronic people pleaser. Can everybody please love me? <laughs> but then you just realise that sometimes you win some and you lose some, and that's just life. Mm-hmm. It's nothing to do with stand-up. So you can't go into your work every single day and have an amazing shift, can you? Yeah. It's yeah. the exact same with stand-up. Uh, Sorry if that's a bit dark. It's a bit dark, isn't it? No, don't think so. That coffee's kicking in, man. My face is going numb. There's <laughs> <laughs> plenty more where that came from. Oh. So you find that after a gig, you would quite often turn to, to eating junk food, did you say? Aye, and I think that there's like a common belief that, maybe even amongst <clears> comics, <throat> that because you're driving and there's nowhere open, that you'll either get a like a really shit takeaway or you'll stop at a service station and get what's there but I honestly think that it goes beyond that is that even if you had a packed lunch with you and it was healthy 
then you would still be like, oh, I'm going to rattle three bags of Revels or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just because, like, I think your blood sugar goes haywire when you've been stressed. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely some strange reward scheme in place. I'm gigging tonight, I've done well, so I'm going to do this. Yeah. But I have came off stage and I'm like, I need sugar. I need... I mean, I don't have a healthy attitude with food, regardless of stand-up. But when I come off the stage, I'm like, I need sugar, I need junk food. I need the worst food possible, like pizza and, and chips and cheese and curry sauce and stuff. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't really eat that in a normal situation. No. But when I come, when I do stand-up, I'm like, I need that. Instantly need it. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes when you've, when you've done well at something, it's as if the rules don't apply for, for a wee period afterwards. Yeah. That's your reward. You can do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, that certainly applied when I first started um, doing gigs. When I, like, you know, there's usually a, a period where maybe most of your gigs don't go very well unless you're someone who's just like, got it straight off the bat. But then when, you, when gigs start going well, that's like... A revelation. It's unbelievable, and I would use that often as an excuse to drink a lot. Right. So I would quite often drink quite heavily after a good gig, mm. um, and kind of buy into the idea that it was like being, you know, as drunk as a poet on payday, or you know, some kind of romanticized version of it. I don't really know why I did, but you know, it was unhealthy for sure. The whole circuit. I think what you're saying is like beyond just the stress thing, constant stress. There's a culture, partly because gigs take place in licensed premises, hmm. yeah. where you're almost half expected to get drunk after. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I was thinking about this like uh, in the last couple of years of my life. I've, I've always tried to improve my life. And I'm thinking, I did, I did my very first gig when I was 18 years old, and then I never did it again until I was 24. Mm. You and did I, a course, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I did the course, yeah, when I was 24, I did uh, at the Metropolitan College, it was just a stand-up comedy course, 10-week course, because I did it when I was 18, I had no clue about the circuit, didn't didn't even know what a compere was, or what the word opener meant, so I went there, and I did that. Whose course was it? It was Charlie Ross. Oh, I know Charlie, yeah. Yeah. But, I, I mean, those courses can't teach you how to be funny. But I would definitely say for someone that wants to be a stand-up comedian, I would mm-hmm. say go and do it mm-hmm. because you'll learn out, you'll learn about the circuit, and you'll just get to know new people and all that kind of stuff. And you get set up to do a gig. Basically, I mean, I did Virgie's course. Yes, I mean that's the best one. I would recommend that the greats, all the greats, Des McLean and the Reverend Obadiah and stuff. They've all done Mark, that. Mark Nelson. Yeah, Mark Nelson. But I. I appreciate Charlie, he was really good because when I went to his course, I joined his course and by the time I was in his course I did 12 red draws mm-hmm. and Charlie was like, you probably shouldn't be in this course because you've done 12 gigs mm-hmm. and I said I'm completely clueless about the circuit. So Scottish Comedian of the Year was happening mm-hmm. and I never entered it mm-hmm. because I missed the, the date mm-hmm. and he basically said, I know Alan Anderson, I'll get you to enter it. Mm-hmm. I entered it, I ended up getting to the final. Mm-hmm. But on the 
that 10 week process of being in his course, I went from 12 gigs to 50 gigs while getting into the final of competition. And then from the next year on, I got nearly 200 gigs or something. Mm -hmm. So it's just that of luck and it was just something to do on a Wednesday night as well. You meet new pals and all that kind of stuff. But I, I was saying like, uh, I before I started doing stand-up, I, I don't think I really ever drank. Mm -hmm. And then I would say when I started doing it, I've probably been dancing around. I mean, not now because I haven't had a drink in nearly three and a half years. Wow. But stand-up comedy and that circuit made me tiptoe around alcoholism, I would say. Mm-hmm. Because it was just maybe a binge drinker at the weekends or football or something to, to drinking four or five days a week mm. at a gig at gigs yeah. or doing gigs or like, oh, I need a pint for Dutch Courage mm -hmm. and then you do really well and you're like, oh, I'll have five pints then because they're amazing. <laughs> but because I was a big guy as well, I could handle that. Mm -hmm. So, But it's not until you kind of look back and you're like, I was drinking five days a week there for mm -hmm. fucking four years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No. What made you start drinking? Sorry, that coffee, man. <laughs> uh, I just, I had a horrible f awareness. I keep all my diaries since uh, I've started. And since I've, you started stand-up? Yeah. And I've, I've tried to count up all my gigs. And I had this horrible feeling of... Say I did something like a thousand gigs and I was like, oh my God, I've probably did 850 drunk. Mm. Right. So it was just a really horrible feeling of like, am I using this as a crutch? Um, I want to be a professional stand-up. If I want to be a professional stand-up, I can't maintain this. Mm. It's never going to end well. So, and then I noticed as well, I was kind of turning into the funny drunk guy instead of the funny guy. And I was like, I kind of, I want to stop that. Mm. What do you think it was apparent when you were doing gigs that you were drunk? Maybe. I mean, I was never fall down drunk, but I always went on with a pain. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know? So I just, I, I, I kind of had a self-awareness of like, I need to stop this. And plus you don't get paid much anyway. So mm -hmm. maybe if I was doing a gig, it was 50 quid or something, I'm just drinking it at the bar after it. Mm -hmm. Or, no, I'm having like 10 pints and then a pizza and stuff, and I'm like, this is not going to end well. But it's, I think uh, over the last three and a half years, it's even that now. I've probably done more gigs sober yeah. than drunk. <laughs> and that's been, even though I was saying to you that uh, adrenaline and stuff is really... Like, it can't be good. That That is, like, to experience stand-up sober is good. It, you still get... I, I thought alcohol helped you with your nerves. It doesn't. It? It, you're just drunk and nervous. Mm -hmm. So, now I'm just sober and nervous. <laughs> and I'd rather experience it sober, mm -hmm. you know. That makes sense. So, as well as giving up, because you also went vegan, right? Yes. Um, how, did you, how did you get to that? Well, I was a veggie one time. I was a vegetarian for two years when I was younger. I don't think I was doing stand-up at that time. I got a, chin, a, a, chin, a chicken curry for the Chinese and I get really bad food poisoning. Mm. 
like I was floored for two weeks, had to go to the hospital, couldn't eat, was hallucinating and stuff. Uh-huh. So see when I got my appetite back, I remember going to my mum's house and she made me something outrageous, it was like a pot of stew or something, and I, I was just looking at it and I was just so disgusted, mm. and I just thought I needed detox, so I, I'll go this for a week, and I ended up doing it for two years, but I was doing panto there, I started eating meat again obviously, and I was doing panto there in December, and I was just like always gutted that I never kept up the veggie stuff, so I was pescatarian during panto, and then I watched uh, Airflings, and I was just like, oh, I shouldn't really be eating fish, but I continued to eat fish because I know that salmon and stuff is good for you. But then I had a tin of, I got a tin of sardines from the supermarket one day, and it was just covered in bones. I was trying to eat it, and it was just, it was disgusting. And I just had a wee light bulb moment. I'm going vegan. So I've been vegan for four months, and it's been amazing. I've really enjoyed it. It's brought a lot of stability to my diet as well, because I'm a wild binger. I'm mm. a binge eater, I think. Uh... I'm just going to be honest as well. I think I self harm with food and junk food, and I've got a problem with sugar and overeating and all that kind of stuff. So, being a vegan has eliminated a lot of that. It's eliminated junk food, you know, McDonald's, yeah, and kebabs, and yeah, obviously chocolate and a lot of sugar. There's a lot of milk powder and, and these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, oh, so do you end up cutting out a lot of sweets because they tend to be animal products in them? Yeah. Right, okay. So that's a bit of a byproduct of cutting out yeah. sugar's a bit of a byproduct of going vegan? Yeah, definitely. And it wasn't my first intention. I just realised that, because I'm always like, oh, fasting, I'll do fasting, oh, I'll do this, mm-hmm. I'll do that. But sugar's always been in there. So I'm just like, you can still be vegan and really unhealthy. So, I think it's 22 days I haven't had sugar, no sugar or fizzy juice. Brilliant. Or junk food, really. Because I kind of felt myself, like, I'm four months a vegan, why am I not losing weight? And then I was looking at my diet and I'm like, well, that's why I'm not losing weight, I'm still eating shite. But I've definitely became conscious of that now, that, See, I always, I was a person that always tried to out-train a bad diet and stuff. And mm. It's never going to happen. I've learned that the hard way. I mean, my cousin's a professional boxer, right? Mm-hmm. He's had five professional fights, mm-hmm. and he's won five of them. And he stands there, and he's like, you can't out-train a bad diet. And in my head, I'm like, yes, I can. <laughs> I'm actually saying that to a professional boxer. <laughs> it's just my warped mentality towards food. But I've, I've got a... I've, I've kind of got a hold of it now and I enjoy being a vegan obviously for animal reasons and stuff and I love that, I love that documentary Earthlings but it's, it's definitely been a journey of just self-discovery with it and stuff I don't think it's just you who um, who struggles with removing things from the diet I think it's um, one of my favourites Georgia Ede she's a doctor she's a psychiatrist in America and she talks about all the time about how like she tries to help her patients by cutting out the bad stuff you know there's a lot of people find that they go whole food plant based and they it works really well for them and 
they cut out the junk and they feel great. So who can argue with that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like you said, you can be whole food plant based or vegan and still eat loads of rubbish. And it's a human what George George Eads point really is it's a human um trait to want a magic bullet, a yeah. silver bullet. Yeah. To add something, you know, goji berries or the next superfood. Instead of taking the stuff away that's actually causing damage, mm. you just want to be able to still, you know, tan a pack of Jaffa cakes. Yeah. But then have a pack of goji berries to God, cancel that out or something. Yeah. You know, it's really, that's the mentality that I certainly had. Yeah. And try to out-train it as well. Well, it can become a bit of a, I think if you start looking closely at what you eat and trying to, you know, wanting to feel good due to what you eat, it can become a bit of a full-time job, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you don't always want that. Yeah. Uh, and, you, you know, there's so, you can go so deep, right? Uh, and you scratch away one way and you realise there's so much more. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I totally sympathise with wanting there to be a solution. Yeah. I don't necessarily want it in the form of a pill or a supplement because I like cooking and I like eating. <clears throat> but, yeah, that sentiment I get. Like being told to remove things mm-hmm. is hard to accept. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Surely I can just add a good thing and it's such a little Yeah, yeah. I can eat 10 fruit and veg a day and still have my... Smarties yeah, for breakfast. Yeah. When you were saying that there, I could feel myself getting emotional actually because it goes back to, for me, it goes back to childhood. It's early childhood and a constant cycle of just out training. And you were saying taking the berries and top of a bad diet. I would never have thought of cutting that out. Mm-hmm. Like that never entered my brain. Don't eat that. Mm-hmm. So even when I was younger, in 18 and 19, and started taking vitamins and stuff which I've never stopped doing but when I was younger I used to take I remember at one point I used to take 50 supplements 10 fish oils and vitamin D and just gorging on vitamins Mm -hmm. because I'm like I'm unhealthy I'm drinking drug abuse so take 50 vitamins and even Mm -hmm. it out or go into a sauna with a sweatsuit on Mm -hmm. I used to do that all the time Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I remember I used to uh, really find, I used to laugh at your vines that you would do <laughs> where you would you would I, I thought you I thought you were I didn't know you actually did it in real life but you were parodying yourself doing that because you would wear that you'd wear that silver yes, sauna yeah. suit and uh, put the the dance music on and then like get your I, can't, I don't even, I don't even know if you can get vine any get vines anymore if the no, it's dead them. now. It's but dead. Um, you would be like, you would have the, the vitamin pills and you'd be like taking like 100 of them at a time. Yeah, like, here we go. <laughs> funny. Pure manic. <laughs> but, I didn't realise you were actually going into the sauna. Was yeah, it? man. Yeah. Full sauna suit on with a t-shirt underneath it. Sweat out a few grams. Yep. Yeah. And just, just, used to do boxing training. See the amount of times I've went from 19 stone to 12 and a half stone from the age of 18 it's been crazy right yeah it's been often as well right i, I go and to short work. like short yes kind of yep yeah. to the point that people are like is there something wrong with your thyroid so 
but mm. deep deep down which I used to think yeah there is there must be something wrong with me but it's not that it's my relationship to food mm. I'll build it up like a treat scheme like I'm a dog or something or like I'll say oh I'll train for a month and lose two stone and be amazing mm-hmm. but on June the 19th for my birthday I'm going to have two kebabs mm-hmm. and then I'll have two kebabs but then I'll get a food hangover for that and it's just I think it's like an alcoholic drinking alcohol when I put that bo- when I put that into my body I just ah, fuck it the fuck it button gets pressed and it just leads to a month binge when I'm eating maybe a kebab every second night or a pizza every second night because I've been sitting in a sauna with a fucking sweatsuit on starving myself intermittent fasting you're supposed to do 16 hours so I'm like I'm doing 36 hours because mm-hmm. that's the warrior fast mm. that's the that's the gladiator fast I'm doing the gladiator fast mimicking my cousin who's a professional boxer because mm. he's I'm, got all his nutrition dialed yeah. in already I he's actually following following a diet plan but I'm not I'm doing 36 hour fasts getting up and going for runs at five in the morning and there's no stability there mm. you can't maintain that it's just wild mm. what you're talking about about uh, building up a treat it, it completely resonates with me with smoking cigarettes because i used to when i lived in china i smoked 40 a day because wow. it was so cheap over there and everyone smoked everywhere like i saw a doctor smoking inside the hospital <laughs> it's like what's almost just uh 2009 it's almost like a patriotic duty over there <laughs> don't smoke then you're not you're not with the party um it's get it's changing now the 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 kids at the school i worked at used to slag me for for smoking so much really yeah they were like you're going to die um (laughs) (laughs) but um did any of the pupils smoke i didn't see any pupils smoke um they probably did but not around the school not around the school and definitely not the girls like so yeah it's kind of there's a there's a bit of a sort of attitude that if you're a woman who smokes in China, then you might be um, like morally corrupt. Right. It's kind of a um, old fashioned attitude. But you would see women in the evening strolling around having a smoke when no one was about and just for their enjoyment. But um, I when I was smoking for I was smoking forty a day then. I don't even know how you have the time to do that. You know what I mean? That's just, a lot, that must but. be constant. It is pretty much any free time you've got when you're not working or eating. You're more or less smoking. Yeah. So, um, not good, but obviously very heavily addicted. And then when I got back, I was like, right, okay, I really need to start thinking about quitting. So I'd go through little spells of trying to quit. And I was like, you know, I was kind of, I thought I was like sick boy in Trainspotting. I could just stop whenever I want. Um, And so I would. But then, like, a few weeks would go by and I was like, this is easy. And then I would start thinking about how I could legitimise having a cigarette. So I would start planning nights out just so on the way to the night out I could get a 10-pack because it's just for a night out. It's just a one-off. And so then I would just be straight back into buying 20 decks straight away. And it was much more intense for cigarettes than it was for food. But I, I have that with food. I've had that with food as well. And so now I've got I don't know how you are with this sort of thing. You just said you've not had sugar in over a month. Uh, a few, 20, 22 days. 22 days. Um, I'm, I find that abst- complete abstinence is the only way that I can make sense of my own cravings and urges because 
I don't have a very good self-control system yeah. for these things. And I've learned that the hard way just by doing it, failing so many times at it. Um, and I think, like, for me, when I hear people talk about moderation when it comes to food, it's usually thin people who've never had a problem with it. Yeah. Because for whatever reason, they can take things in moderation. Mm. Sugar, junk food, it's just a treat to them. They never, they don't think about it for the rest of the day. If I have a muffin, I'm thinking about, I'm just like, muffin, 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 muffin. Yeah. In my head after that. Yeah. I'm like, you You could be talking about anything. I'm just thinking muffins, <laughs> muffins, that's nice. Um, and so I just have to not have cigarettes, not have muffins, not yeah. have booze, pretty much. I, I don't really drink much anymore either because there was a time when I would start have I would start drinking and then yeah I would have I would just drink all night you know I can relate to you completely. Did the both of you not smoke now? Did you I stop? never smoked. You never smoked. Good man. I had one cancer when I was a kid. Oh. Uh, I'm getting told not to smoke for a long time. I forgot about that. I knew that, yeah. You honestly had lung cancer? Eh? Wow. I was dead young. See, my, my weird stand-up comedian mind was like, that's a really sick joke you just said there. But I never realised <laughs> you actually did. <laughs> so how, how, how did that happen? Uh, I had... I got a tumour in my kidney. Wow, man. And then I got chemo and they took it out. And then about a year and a half later, it came back in one of my lungs. Wow, man. Uh, and then another one came up in my chest, in my lymph glands. Uh, so they took a chunk of one of my lungs out and gave me chemo again. And then with the third one, uh, I think they were a bit kind of uh, stumped with it and carried a bit of a cocktail of drugs and then radiotherapy. And wow. And do you think that's how yours went into a career of like being a really good chef and cooking like real food and stuff? And uh, I've never related to them in, in my mind. And the, uh, looking at this and nutritional side of food's only been the last kind of year or so, I would say actually. Yeah, Just me that from, me that dragged him into that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. brilliant though. Uh, I'd say there's scope for connecting up, but I haven't done it. Yeah. No. There's a part of me is kind of convinced that I would get another tumour at some point inevitably. Yeah. Uh, so maybe I've... There's maybe uh, some preventative... What age were you? ...with a healthy food time. Uh, it's between four and eight. I mean, that's, that's what, like... 50 years ago now or something. Something like that, right. <laughs> Do you think that is... It's that too young for you to really... Yeah. Like, before... I mean, I don't know what the threshold is, but before a certain age, and it's probably past eight, everything's just what happens to you happens to you. There's no evaluation of it. Yeah. I'd imagine that's quite common with people who have had cancer. Like, you think you know, you're going to get it again. Uh, but it'd probably be the same from someone who's been in a car crash. Or, yeah. Um, yeah mugged in the street yeah. it's probably one in a million yeah. chance of it happening yeah 
but be, but you know because you've been through it, it's hard to convince even your own brain, even yeah. if you understand the statistics. I had cancer as well. Yeah. Did I, you? Yeah, testicular cancer sake. when I was twenty. Man, I feel left out here, guys. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, and I remember, like, for ten years, that's how long they they kept me under observation. I was like, right, when's it going to come back? You know. Yeah. There'd be something there'd be a, a, a shadow on the X ray and you would have to go and get an ultrasound or something. Wow. And then you know, going to that appointment. Yeah. Steps getting shorter. Don't wanna go. Yeah. I don't wanna go, I need to go. because um, you think you're convinced. Yeah, that's it. Was in it's back. Yeah. Um But I know that for the one for the type I had, after ten years it basically the chances of it recurring just are basically the same as as you. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't don't feel left out. There's every chance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, actually, not that one because that mainly affects um, men until they're like twenty something. Yeah. Are you thirty now? Thirty one. Thirty one. Yeah. So are you fine? Yeah. <laughs> well, last time I was at the hospital, the consultant was saying. Would you still go? I go. I started going again recently. I stopped. They used to give me a kind of MRT every year. Uh huh. Uh. I think partly they were curious what the after effects were of yeah. some of the drugs uh, and yeah, what happens to someone who survives uh, childhood cancer later in life. Uh, and so I, I used to get them and then I stopped because it, it become reduced to a, a 10 minute chat mm-hmm. and I was living elsewhere and it was a bit inconvenient so I stopped going. But then I took it up recently uh, and she was saying like you said, yeah, there's, there's no more reason for you to get another one than any regular person. The Darren. But <laughs> she mentioned you, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but she said at the same time, uh, because of some of the treatment you had, we know that it, it can raise the, the possibility of you getting more. It's a bit mixed message. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the two of you are looking fantastic, by the way. Thanks. Not that you could tell who has had cancer. Your mind instantly goes to, oh my god, cancer. Mm-hmm. That must be really bad. The two years look fantastic. Thanks. I got quite lucky. I didn't need treatment beyond surgery in the end. Yeah. They would have given me chemo, but they put me into this test um, kind of study to see if, if you got a, a type of scan called a PET scan mm-hmm. and it came back negative. Would that predict that your cancer wouldn't come or be less likely to come back. So they put me in this study, got a PET scan, came back negative. And then about a year down the line, they said, actually, people who got negative PET scans are just as likely to get a recurrence as people who got positive PET scans. So we're stopping the study. But because you've gone so far without actually getting recurrence, we'll just observe you now and we'll not give you chemo. So I felt quite lucky because you don't want chemo really. Um, And then it never came back. So... Uh, I got quite lucky in that respect, where it didn't take its toll. So I was just it was just the surgery, which I was over in you know a couple of months. Brilliant. Yeah. I was reading somewhere recently actually. There's cancer with a sugar thing as well. If you have cancer, they tell you to stop eating sugar. So this this is this is a really interesting area, mm-hmm. and also very understandably very touchy. Because the science is 
very new. So making any claims <clears throat> is difficult to base on existing evidence. There's there's some indication it seems that some cancers feed really well on sugar. But that's not to say that eating sugar necessarily feeds it. Because even if you eat zero carb, your body creates glucose to feed the cells that need glucose. So it makes sense to try to starve cancers that feed on glucose of glucose. But it's not as clear cut as just cutting down you eating it. There's a guy, really, uh, really interesting guy called Andrew Scarborough, who's got a blog. Uh, I've forgotten it's, I've forgotten what it's called, but if you if you, I think it's my brain cancer story or something like that, and he's got geoblastoma, which is an inoperable. Uh, I think it's inoperable anyway. It's 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 always fatal. Uh, brain cancer, but he's. He's halted the progression of the disease by eating a very specific diet, uh, which is basically <clears throat> extremely high fat, animal fat, quite low protein, because he didn't want to stimulate um, any blood sugar hikes that can sometimes, if you eat too much protein. Uh, if that varies from the individual to individual, it's so... It can do in some people, yeah. is my understanding. There's this reputation in the ketogenic diet community that eating too much protein is like eating a bit of chocolate cake and it immediately leads to high blood glucose. Uh-huh. But it seems more like it's a demand-driven thing. So there are some cells in your body that need glucose. If they're needing some, then they just tell the liver to make some and it makes some from protein. Right. But eating a lot of protein you, you, you see the data from people are, are able to wear continuous glucose monitors now and they're some of them are eating carnivore and they're eating high protein relatively so you're talking a couple of kilos of red meat a day kind of thing and their glucose is just flat so it's complicated and I think individual but this guy Andrew Scarborough has halted the progression of his disease. Um, he's using diet with a combination of bariatric chamber um, therapy. So it's like he goes in and uh, the pressure's cranked up. And I, I don't understand the science of that bit. But um, the air pressure? Yes. But he's doing really well. Right. You know, he's, he's still going, which is amazing. Because it's, it's always fatal. Yeah. Uh, and other people finding that ketogenic diet can help with the... If you're, <clears throat> if you're getting radiotherapy or chemotherapy and the toll that takes on your body, eating a ketogenic diet can help mitigate the negative effects. Right. But... Beyond that, there's not much. It's just people talking about their experiences of yeah. it. It's a bit like CBD oil, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stories going around at the moment about what CBD oil can do. And fair enough, I think um, these stories are where science starts. Mm. It's someone going, well, hang on a minute. Yeah. We think this, but actually, if you do this, this, this happens. 
-hmm. and then you have to test it like very carefully to make sure that it's not bogus because you wouldn't want to give anyone false hope or say like there are people out there who are saying you don't need you don't need chemo or, or surgery you can just take CBD oil which is yeah. obviously just like really irresponsible yeah it's dangerous isn't it plus isn't it really expensive I think it can be yeah. a lot of these things because I've seen something like that happen recently a very close friend of the family passed away with cancer and he was going through chemo and all that kind of stuff and he was taking the oil mm -hmm. which was something like three grand a bottle or something but I seen the family kind of pin all their hopes on the oil mm. and it just reminded me of like the wild west with snake oil and stuff mm -hmm. but in my mind I'm like oh I love vitamins and all that kind of stuff I might take that but it was just really sad to hear people say you don't need chemo and you don't need this just take this oil mm -hmm. And obviously it makes you feel better for a wee while. I don't know if it's just a... What's, what's it called? Placebo. Yeah, placebo. But he passed away, so I think he, I agree with you there. It's it's very, very dangerous to, to say just do this or just do that. Mm -hmm. Why can't you do... Why can't you do them all? Yeah. You know? Or whatever. Yeah. Even with the sugar stuff, like, it might not be a fact, but why don't you just cut out sugar anyway? Yeah. And see what happens along with your other methods. Yeah. Because cutting out sugar must be good for you, no matter what. I think that's probably true. I there, there's people who are who are who are saying to be quite careful about recommending ketogenic diets, even just as a sort of belt and braces, like why not do it anyway type of strategy? Because there's some cancers that seem to thrive on ketones. Yeah. So that. Yeah. Uh, you might be damned if you do, damned if you right. don't. Yeah. Um, and the I think the main message that I take from all this is, and I'm not trying to be facetious, but try not to get cancer in the first place. Yeah. And there's obviously a few things that you can do. This is an environmental disease. There's a few things you can do to control your own environment to stop you getting cancer. So not smoking is obviously huge. Yeah. And like some of the nutrition stuff, I read them like, I think actually it was a guy called Joseph Kraft who wrote about diabetes. He basically said that, in his opinion, heart disease is diabetes. Mm. Um, and he said, like, in his book, if you smoke, just put this book down because nutrition's not going to help you. Wow, that is intense. Yeah. That's intense, man. So cancer-wise, getting rid of smoking is huge. Alcohol abuse increases your risk yeah uh, there's certain other things and you know I think sugar and refined veg oils are probably candidates for promoting cancer growth in the first place mm -hmm. yeah but I mean it's not very helpful to say <laughs> especially when it's so confusing all the diet advice out there yeah you know it's like you remember Reeves and Mortimer doing their um, the, the smell of Reeves and Mortimer one of the TV shows and um, they did a song called Trapped in My Flat <laughs> and then at the end of the song Vic Reeves is like now if you do get trapped in your flat try not to get trapped in your flat <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know how? what's the best way to tackle um, 
dealing with your cancer, try not to get cancer. Yeah. But it's not, yeah, but that, well, that was a bit silly, wasn't it? That was a bit silly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get told by someone I used to work for, uh, Sarit actually, who's the wife of, we had Peter Mara, oh, yeah. Yeah. a chef we used to work and uh, she, she told me that there was a good chance that I'd given myself the cancer. Uh, as, as a more child, old. yeah, she, because her brother was in the same situation as me, our family structure was similar. Yeah, uh, our brother was also a middle child and he had cancer, and she she thought it was a kind of coping mechanism because you know, a sort of form of middle child syndrome. Wow, but you way, willed it, somehow. yeah, I willed it in order to get attention. Wow, that is a theory, yeah, yeah. So that's more of it on the mental side than the you know the, the physical issues like smoking or drinking or eating yeah. sugar in the thing. I I I wouldn't prioritise that necessarily <laughs> as a as a reason for yeah. why it happened. <laughs> You're like I can just picture you sitting on Santa's knee in a shopping centre. <laughs> what do you want for Christmas, son? Cancer. <laughs> because I'm a middle child. <laughs> Please leave the shopping centre. Get out, Take this twenty deck. Yeah, I do believe that thought, your thoughts can make... I mean, I don't agree with what your friend said there, yeah. but, you know, I appreciate her honesty, but I think thoughts can make you sick, definitely. Mm. Yeah. Your, your mind... There's a feedback loop with your psychology and your physical mm. health. Yeah. It's pretty clear. Actually, there's a guy, I don't know if you know him, uh, Malcolm Kendrick. He's a doctor who writes about heart disease, if I put him your way. So he's got a blog that he writes mainly about heart disease, and he's he's looking for he's looking for different causes, and one of the causes that he thinks is fairly major is in countries where they've had um, major upheaval like warfare, the rate of heart disease is quite a bit higher. Yeah. So he's not quite sure whether that's a direct physical cause, like this psychological stress in, in itself leads to damage in your arteries or whether it, it leads to um, poor food choices or what or whether it leads to wanting to smoke to deal with the you know the stress or whatever I'm not yeah. sure if he's if he's disentangled all those mm. potential so but he you know when you get stressed like when you're a stand up you want to eat rubbish you feel it's not even wanting to you feel um, it, like the, the stress itself is doing you damage yeah um, and even that what you were talking about the cycle of binge eating that is psychologically stressful yeah and takes its toll yeah you feel like a failure all that kind of stuff yeah I definitely <clears throat> I mean I have had depression in my life I've been treated for it and I'm okay now but there's been times in my life when I have said I'm depressed this is depression but now I've realised it's been through binge eating, bad food choices, alcohol, which has made me feel depressed, mm -hmm. which I just think is a chemical reaction to my bad diet. Mm -hmm. But I've just used that crutch of, oh, I'm depressed. It's not until you eliminate all that, then you think, oh, I wasn't actually depressed. Mm -hmm. It was just awful diet. Mm -hmm. And I definitely feel, because I'm the exact same as you, Ali, I can't do cheat meals, I can't do treats, I can't do a curry on a Friday night. I do much better just eliminating it. 
mm-hmm. seasons have eliminated fizzy juice. I mean, I'll have sparkling water with a wee bit of diluting juice, mm-hmm. but I've eliminated like fizzy juice. Lucasid was bad. I was really bad for Lucasid. Chocolate and crisps. I feel a genuine increase in my happiness and mm-hmm. my mood and. I just feel better. I just feel better knowing that, oh, I can't eat that. Mm-hmm. Right? That's not an option. I can't eat that. That's good for me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And I used to kind of count the days, like, oh, I'm only counting the days now because I'm on this podcast and I, I want to tell you how long I've been without it. But mm-hmm. it's not a, an obsession. It's not like, oh, 22 days without a kebab. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't feel like that anymore. It's just like, I can't eat that and that's going to be my life from now on. Hopefully. It's a release. Yeah. And it's, I think, you hear some um, some doctors, dietitians, members of the public talking about restrictive diets being um, a problem for folk because it's more likely to lead to failure. Which I think sometimes can be the case, you know, like in the keto community, people eat uh, lots of almond flour cakes and stuff like that, which can be like a bridge away from a really shit diet. And it was for me too, but in the end, I just end, I just ended up eating loads of almond flour cakes, and so <laughs> I'm just like tanking loads of almond flour. I mean, yeah. who's that good for? And um, <laughs> and so I was forgotten what my point was about your like cheat meals and yeah. treats and stuff. Yes, and some people saying that it's not a good thing to be restrictive, but for people like you and me, it's the only way, and. That should be, I think, offered as an option to people to, to tell them, look, you might not be able to have cheat meals. And I'm sorry, but, and it's a hard truth, but, but I can tell you that once you get to the other side, you will feel relieved and it will be like a release and it won't be like a deprivation. It won't be like you're starving yourself of, of one of the joys of life. Yeah. It'll actually be like, why did I ever want to eat that all the time. I know. Mm. Do, you, do you think there's any kind of, uh, you know you were saying where you, there's a cycle where you're feeling bad and you go to food that's not good for you. Do you think there's any kind of invert equivalent of feeling actually quite good and wanting to eat particular things? Like go to good foods, you know, go to healthy foods. Like an upward spiral almost as opposed to the downward spiral. I definitely feel that now. Yeah. I think I'm in a good place and I feel good. I've been training quite a lot back at circuit training and I'm looking at f- like food. Like even the other day I was out for a meal and I was looking at a Diet Coke and I was like, I might just have that because, you know, I'm having a meal. But then I thought, no, I'm not going to have that because I can't eat. There's no, like... I'll just, that'll trigger a binge. It was the first time I've ever kind of thought, I feel amazing. I'm not going to treat myself with food. Mm. I'm just going to have what I know I can have. I definitely wouldn't. It's weird because I, I, I don't think, I mean, this is my personal opinion. Somebody wouldn't. I don't think a happy person would eat a donut kebab and chips and cheese uh, with sauce over it. Got it. Got a different way of that. Well, I, but like, <laughs> I, I, I was, I, well, fair enough, fair enough. But like, I just, I don't really know where I'm going with that, but 
I'm happy now. I feel good, and that's definitely changed my diet. Mm-hmm. You know, definitely, one hundred percent. Because I do look at junk food like self harm. Everybody's different. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's another idea. I'd say that. Yeah. So what what foods now that you're eating whole food plant based, what foods do you really relish? What do you like? That's like you, have you got some favourites that you like to that you like to eat? Yes, um, I've been really getting into kimchi. Oh, I like kimchi. I, I love pickles mm. anyway. Yeah. Like pickled food in general. Me too. <laughs> do you not do that? Yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't joke about pickles as well, but, but that you used to always open with that, didn't you? Yes, that was my go to. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say it on the podcast because it's pretty grim. But uh, so when I was younger, I used to always eat pickles, and then I found out about kimchi. Mm-hmm. And I never really liked cabbage mm-hmm. because when I think about cabbage, it's a big, massive pot in my grand's house. Mm-hmm. She's been boiling it for 10 hours, <laughs> all the taste is at it. Cabbage is just disgusting. Mm-hmm. But this kimchi was just like, as soon as I started eating it, I was like, it's addictive, yeah. there's something salty and juicy about it, mm-hmm. and I can instantly feel, I don't know if it's just my mind, but mm-hmm. I just instantly feel better. Yeah. But then I googled it, and then I found out about sauerkraut, mm-hmm. so I've, I've been eating, I would say, every single day my diet's got sauerkraut or kimchi mm-hmm. in it, really? because I just love it. Wow. Um, I love kimchi kul, mm-hmm. um, it's a wee Korean uh, street food place besides, mm-hmm. in Woodland Road, so that's my go-to. Mm-hmm. Um, ah, chicken. I've it's had the chicken for the. Oh, oh, aye, man. Aye. Is it uh, it's pure white? Oh, battered and fried? Yeah, but how do they get it that crispy? I don't know. It's so white. You can even well. douse it in sauce and it's still crispy. Wow. It's my pool. Yeah. Sure, there's wheat in there somewhere, though. Uh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they've got some really good. I mean, I was eating fish and chicken from there, but they've got amazing vegan options Aren't as they? well. Yeah. And they do the rice bowls, don't they? Yeah, they're really nice. I had a really nice salad in the one off Byers Road. It's, um, I can't remember what it was. Like some sort of like rice vinegar dressing. Oh. It was so good. I'm, I'm the same as you. I've, anything vinegar mm. or fermented yeah. is, is amazing. But the, I know one of your questions was what, what, what's the last thing you ate? There's a falafel stand in the town that's called it's called uh, Falafel to Go. I know what you mean, it's on uh, is it Refuge Street? Yep. Three pounds for like a foot long falafel. Yeah. Tiny wee thing, isn't it? Yeah. That was the last meal I ate. Mm-hmm. It was last night after uh, a meeting. It was a falafel and I put sauerkraut in it and wrapped it up and put some chili sauce over it. But that's my go-to place. Mm-hmm. It's three pound for a falafel. I'm always there. Mm-hmm. I've started drinking a lot of kombucha as well, oh, like yeah. low sugar ones. There's a wee vitamin shop in the town. I think it's it's like a vegan. No, it's vegan friendly. Mm-hmm. It's beside Nando's. I think it's vitamins herbs. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Can't remember. Is it off Suckill Street? Yes. In Douglas Street. Yep. I know the place. That's been there for like twenty-five years or something. Yeah. yeah. Where's Douglas Street again? It's um, it's next to Nando's. Quality vitamins and herbs, it's called. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've been getting kombucha from there. I take probiotics. I'm still taking my vitamins. I know I'm vegan, but I'm still taking fish oils. Oh, yeah. Purely for the reason that I bought a year's supply of fish oils last year. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm not throwing them in the bin. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not wasting things. Mm-hmm. I've got a pair of Doc Martens on as well. I was, I was speaking to... <laughs> I'm not really a good vegan. I was speaking to a vegan and he's like, ah, look, you've already bought that, so don't waste it. Uh-huh. So just use it. Yeah. And he said that with the fish oils as well. Yeah. Just use your fish oils. Because yeah. I can get algae oil. I'll eventually probably get that when I, when I finish my fish oils. Yeah. But I'm not going to waste anything. Definitely not wasting. It's an interesting um, kind of point that brings up about the kind of tribal aspect of um, like what what you're doing in your lifestyle. So it might not just be what you eat, because vegan veganism is the lifestyle, whole food, plant based is the diet, right? Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, there's definitely parallels between the sort of vegan tribe and the low carb paleo or whatever tribe because you get nutters on in both camps yeah there's no doubt about it and i think too many people in each <clears throat> like to think that there's no nutters in their tribe yeah. it's all the other people that are nutters yeah whereas i think the best advocates of both recognize that they come at their opinion and a decision from a different angle a different set of priorities to people in the other groups and who's anyone to say you shouldn't be doing what you're doing mm-hmm. I think uncovering new knowledge is great and good for everyone mm-hmm. but having a like as the first priority I feel like everyone should be living and let living yeah. yes no judgement yep because you'll scare people away that's why everybody mocks I mean vegans they just think oh these are intense really judgmental people I actually started off trolling on Twitter I called myself the vegan gorilla because I seen a picture of a gorilla on Instagram and they put underneath it where do you get your protein from bro (laughs) and I was just like that's so funny I called myself the vegan gorilla but then I thought I'll just start eating this to see what it's like Uh maybe to get material from it as well but then I just instantly felt better and then it just triggered like when I was a vegetarian that made me feel so good. Mm-hmm. So I'd say it probably started off as a joke but then I started to actually feel really good. <laughs> <laughs> but then as soon as I looked into factory farming and stuff, yeah. I mean I know that you get your meat for better places than a supermarket. I just don't, because I worked in a supermarket for 10 years and yeah. I just don't see how they're going to maintain that. I just visually yeah. I don't see... Factory farming is really disgusting. There's something disgusting about it. It's a really interesting... That part of the discussion is really interesting. And uh, I try and... I don't think I'm... I don't think I'm... Um, I think I'm biased. I think I'm biased because... You know, the direction I came from was realising that eating in a particular way, which included a lot of animal products, made me feel a lot better. And I've seen you know other people say the same thing. So that's definitely my bias to try and pretend otherwise would be stupid yeah. um, and so what I want to see is evidence that raising meat is fine for the animals until you kill them and you know fine for the environment but it's a very it's a very complicated thing and you know all that stuff about factory farming I think there's no doubt that there's places that um 
do not treat the animals in a way that you would want animals to be treated. Mm -hmm. That anyone should really want animals to be treated. But there's also perspectives coming out which um, undoubtedly have their own bias. But, for example, I was listening the other day to a podcast, um, Human Performance Outliers podcast, and uh, Sean Baker, who's a doctor in America, he's like 6'5", uh, deadlifts like four, 400 pounds, um, and his co-host is a, a runner who has got the fastest 100-mile time. Um, it's like 12 hours or something, I don't know what it is, but it's like, yeah, just a machine. He's really wee guy. And uh, they're both pretty much carnivores. So you can see that's where their bias is going to come in. Mm. They, they, they've got a vested interest in wanting to see the studies that support their position. Yeah. Um, but they had this guy on who was an Irish vet who, who grew up in dairy farms. Um, he said he wasn't going to inherit a dairy farm, so he decided he would become a vet so he could spend his life on dairy farms. And he moved to California and... Um, that's where they do the most intensive dairy farming in the world. And he said that a lot of the videos that come out um, showing that, that say it's mistreatment of animals, like say a cow being dragged along the ground, he said if you discover a cow that's lying down, then you need to drag it along the ground to get it righted up again. Because a cow lying on its side isn't like us lying on our side or on our side. A cow lying on its side will die after a certain amount of time right. because it will crush its own muscles. Um, the, the videos you see of pigs that are in, the sows that are in, like little, um, I don't know what they call them, but unit stalls that mean they can only face forwards. He says that they're actually a, a huge innovation in animal welfare. And I was like, well, how's he going to justify this? And he said it's because sows don't have any maternal instinct really. So they just eat their young. So if you don't put them in, in a pen like that with their young for a couple of days so that the, the piglets can start taking the milk, mm -hmm. then the mother will probably just eat them mm -hmm. or sit on them yeah. or whatever. So they're in those for two or three days and then they get put back into mm -hmm. the general moving around places where they've got a bit more kind of space. And he said, you know, chickens that are in cages, he said, they're actually oftentimes in better conditions than chickens that are allowed to move around a big yard because you can't keep control of where their droppings go. But in a cage you can. You can also keep track of individuals and that they have a certain amount of space to move around. <laughs> so yeah. there's like all these different perspectives. I mean, he's a vet. He got, into, he got into it because he loves dealing with animals and he loves maximizing their welfare yeah so i feel like there's loads of good points coming out of um vegans talking about making sure that animals aren't mistreated but there's also other perspectives yeah. around the whole thing i, I suppose a, a vegan response to what you just said might be that well okay these innovations are mitigating uh, bad conditions but uh, the problem is really industrial scale farming right? or, yeah. keeping that amount of chickens or that amount of pigs and that, that's what leads to these innovations. Well, to me the problem is do you agree 
that animals should be allowed to be bred into the world just for human food. And I think that, to me, is the main point mm. of difference. You know, even if you gave them, like, penthouses with silk sheets, you'd still have to say you're going to kill them in the end yeah. for your dinner. Yeah. So is that is that what the argument's about ultimately? Yeah. I don't but know. My argument is I don't need to eat anything that's been killed now. Yes. But I, I look at the factory farming and I just see a grand scale of waste and you walk into a supermarket and you see all these packets of bacon and you're like, is this getting ate? Is this getting used? There's too much, you know? Um, but that's really interesting because I see I just see gluttony mm. like just total gluttony there's no need for it because there is waste and a lot of the food in the west gets chucked but yeah. the, the level of waste for fruit and veg is much higher than mm. it is for meat yeah and I don't know the exact reason um, but it's it's quite it's quite a significant difference although yeah. a lot of meat's wasted as well yeah yeah I mean I'm not saying I'll never eat meat again but I know that I physically can't eat meat right now mm-hmm. I, the thought of eating it is making yeah, me feel yeah it mm-hmm. makes me feel ill yeah um, but I had that thought when I was a vegetarian yeah so I can never say never uh, but the way that I'm feeling right now I can't do it yeah why would you yeah why would you yeah was uh, when you what age did you go vegetarian you were quite young I think I might have been 23 or something, I'm not too sure, Mm -hmm. and then I broke it, I went to the fringe and I was drunk, and I noticed my diet towards the end of vegetarian, fringe is so stressful, very very unhealthy, I went from, I think, I went from, again, I went from 18 stone, a vegetarian for two years, I went down to 14 stone, but then towards the end I was right up at 16 and a half stone or something, Mm -hmm. I was just eating Greggs and all that kind of stuff, and I went to the fringe, I got steaming, there was no food, I was just living off cheese and onion pasties, and I was exhausted, I was mm-hmm. tired, I felt malnourished, see for being morbidly obese at the time, probably morbidly obese, I felt so weak mm. and tired, and I had a burger from one of these stands that were like, it's an ostrich burger or something, but because I never had meat for so long, I did feel sick, I felt ill, but the fuck it button get pressed mm-hmm. and two days later I was just back to eating meat. Alright, was that it? Was that yeah. Mm-hmm. Aye. What was that man? Yeah, I, my favourite um, people in the whole discussion are talking about how being honest with people about how they can help themselves and working within their own um, like set of priorities, mm-hmm. you know? Like, who is anyone to say you shouldn't eat whole food plant-based Yeah. on the basis of it making you feel great? For That's just that's all the reason anyone needs anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, never mind all the stuff that you think about about animal welfare and all that, which yeah. is fair enough too. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it's too much to ask for probably because people are going to have their biases and they're going to have... Yeah. you know yeah. the tribes and their own sides and take on it but yeah. that would be nice I think is for more and more doctors and nutritionists people who people who look up to for advice to say look there's all sorts of ways you can solve your unhealthy eating problems why don't you try them out and see what one sticks yeah 
It's not the best piece of advice I got. Uh, when I was started looking at this through you, it was uh, what's the name of the guy with the website? Burn Fat, not sure. Ted Neiman. Right. The doctor in Seattle, in Washington, I think. Right. And his big thing was just like just prioritize uh, nutrient density. And it was a bit of a light bulb moment for that. It was like, you know, people have different notions of what to, uh, you know, what to cut out, what to add in. You know, there's different ideas about purifying your diet. And, you know, some people think, all right, I need to, I want to purify my diet. I'm going to cut out meat. Or I'm going to cut out dairy. Uh, and his was just look at nutrient density. Like, just eat food that is full of nutrients. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty simple. And you can take that whatever way you want, you know, you can go down a plant-based route or carnival route. And yeah, as I think meat is, like beef is the most nutrient-dense food you can eat, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, beef, from, beef. From what I've beef. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, it depends how you, this, so you get into the thing about nutrient density, because if you look at the, the way you calculate that, it would be the amount of nutrients you have over the weight. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And so if you look at something like kale, then it's probably much more nutrient-dense than beef, but you would need to eat yeah. two kilos of kale to get anything meaningful. Yeah. And who's going to do that? Plus, yeah. kale tastes like human arsehole. <laughs> 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 yeah, maybe a bad example in yeah. terms of like I'm comparing them. I'm saying I love kale on the basis of how you said that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, totally, I think it's a very sensible thing. Like, I, I think it's nitpicking probably to say that nutrient density isn't a decent way of approaching it. So like beef, lamb, uh, organ meats, you know, they're really high in most nutrients and they're bioavailable, so your body takes takes them on really easily. Um, and some people have no problem getting all the stuff they need from whole food plant-based that's supplemented and feel great on it. Um, by doing exactly the same thing, by focusing on, like, you end up with a sort of, like, you were talking about cutting out fizzy juice, and um, I heard someone talking about, you know, stick to the edges of the supermarket, and, like, I don't well, know what it's what like, so it's usually because that's where the fruit and veg is in the first bit, right. and then the fresh produce around the back. Okay. It's probably the booze around on the right, normally, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Who knows where the eggs are. The back. Aye, um, but uh, I go into a supermarket now. I don't know what it's like for you, and I'm like, well, this, this, even like the massive ones. I'm like, this could be the size of a a tiny corner shop, and that would do for me because yeah. almost all of this stuff I'm not going to touch. Yeah. It's processed. It's highly processed. You know, it's just basically sugar, flour, and veg oil, or it's bottles of fizzy juice. Um, I don't really eat dairy either now. No, good. No, it doesn't. Uh, it just doesn't agree with me. Yeah. I also think it's a wee bit strange. Like the whole thing about paleo is that it's meant to be you're eating like when we evolved as humans. Yeah. Which kind of the logic is that that means that our bodies are adapted to that, and you can't imagine a situation or. If you imagine a situation before we kept animals um, when we would be drinking milk as adults 
it's kind of a funny picture. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because we don't need milk. No, it's milk is so nutri so full of nutrients and growth hormones because it's meant to grow a, a tiny mammal into a big mammal. And then once you're done, you do. I, I think some people seem to tolerate it fine when, yeah. they, when, they, when it's full of nutrients, but um, it would be strange to see a, an adult human getting milk. Yeah. <laughs> if they didn't have animals. Yeah. There's a new spin on gut milk. <laughs> yeah. Plus you can get hemp milk and almond milk and stuff, so see if you wanted stuff in your tea or whatever. Milk or something. Like yeah. Get some of that, but I've been using hemp milk. Oh yeah, what's that like? To be honest, it's tasteless, but right. milk is tasteless to me. It's hemp milk, milk kind of cre is it a creaminess. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good to, I've been having oats in the morning with, from a porridge, mm -hmm. and when it's made, I just put a wee bit of hemp milk over it to just mix it up. Mm -hmm. But it's the same again, I've been eating, I've got Munica honey, Mm -hmm. that I'm just not going to throw in the bin. Mm -hmm. It's fucking £40 a tub. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so I've been getting a wee bit of miracle honey, putting that in my porridge, yeah. milk and taking my vitamins and having a litre of water and maybe a black coffee. And then that's me yeah. until lunch. Yeah. But I'm going to cut it all out. See hemp milk and almond milk and stuff. Uh -huh. I'm just going to cut it out because I can have a black tea. I can have black coffee. Yeah. So I don't, I don't need it. Yeah. It's not like it's delicious, it's all tasteless. Yeah. Apart from the almond milk, it's a wee bit nutty. Mm -hmm. but I've, I've tried making that myself. Yeah. You soak, oh, the, almonds, you soak the almonds overnight and then um, blitz them with water and then strain it through a cloth and you end, yeah, you end up with almond milk. It's alright, it's, um, it's pretty much the same as what you buy, so there's not much point really unless you have almond trees. Yeah. Because otherwise, like, I feel like almond milk's probably not that environmentally friendly, really, is it? To, you know, all the almonds yeah, in you California. Yeah. You can use the almond meal that's left over for, you know, something that needs that yeah. ground up nuts, but you've taken quite a lot of yeah. the goodness out of it, I suppose. Uh, do you, have you tried making kimchi? No, but I'm interested. I'm really, really fascinated about it. Yeah. I've been looking, watching documentaries online about kimchi farms, and yeah. there's something really peaceful about it and yeah. nice, and it looks like there's a spiritual side to it and yeah. stuff. But yeah, mate, I'm, I'm up for making it. Definitely. I've, uh, I've only I've made it a couple of times, and I've only ever used the one recipe. It was great. It's dead simple. I was a bit scared of it. Yeah. Uh, but this is it's straightforward. And it's tastes amazing. Oh man! It's actually Danny, the guy that has kimchi for Cult. Yeah. Told me about this. It's a website. What's the name? I can't remember, but I'll look up and send it to you. Right? There's so loads of recipes. It's a brilliant like, uh, database of recipes. Definitely. And there's a wee video that goes with it. So um, all different kimchi's, all different she's fermented got a few stuff. Different kimchi's. It's just Korean food. Mm. She's a Korean woman, but she's like a. Yeah, I'd appreciate that, mate. Because they do vegan. Kimchi as well. Do they? I eat both. Ah, right, aye, so this is fish sauce, isn't it? Yeah, I eat both to be honest. Uh -huh. So I, I could go and I'll go into Kimchi <clears throat> Cult and I'll get the vegan bimbap. Right. And it's, they'll give you vegan kimchi with it, mm -hmm. but I'll get a side of regular kimchi as right. well because both of them are delicious to me. Yeah. I know it's got fish oil on it, but 
come on to fuck. You know, like, <laughs> how hardcore do I want to go with this? Yeah. Yeah. I just don't want to eat factory farming food. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's I, great because it lasts forever, you know, you never get that. Just stick it in the kitchen, oh, it gets better and better. It, it makes me feel superhuman. Like, I don't know if I'm just like that with pickles in general, but I'm well, just. Well, fermented like, foods, you always eat because I'll be honest with you it's through a lot of kind of hearing like Joe Rogan speak mm-hmm. and then Instagram just putting in gut health into the search bar mm-hmm. and just reading all this stuff reading that you I mean I've heard you are with me but I've never really took it seriously but then I was reading that your your gut is like a second brain so something happened in my mind and I was like this is why I'm feeling shit. I'm feeling shit because I'm eating shit. Mm-hmm. So I've been heavy in the probiotics, uh, pickled food, mm. and it feels so good. I feel amazing, man. Mm. It's cheap as well. Mm-hmm. It's like a jar of sauerkraut at a Polish supermarket. It's free quid. Yeah. You can eat it every day. It's amazing. Yeah. I love it, man. Yeah, I love fermented stuff. I can't remember now that if you can get vitamin K from fermented stuff. I think you can. I think there's, um, you don't hear about vitamin K very much. I think sometimes it means ketamine, doesn't it? <laughs> but, uh, you, um, you, you need vitamin K to kind of tell um, your body how to use minerals. So vitamin K can be really preventative and can help reverse uh, calcification in the arteries, so heart disease. Right. Wow. And, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the um, researcher Weston Price. No. He travelled around the world in the early 20th century um, looking at traditional societies and um, he found that he did lots of tests on them, um, sent samples back and they were, their nutrient status was really good and he found that there was, there was, um, there was this thing in their, in, their, in their diet, I think, rather than their their blood tests or whatever, I don't know if they did blood tests, but there was a thing in their diet which he called uh, Activator X. So it was like this mystery ingredient that he thought was really uh, vital in keeping their health good. And it turned out this was vitamin K. Oh. Um, that's what he ended up calling it. And you get it in fermented foods. You get it in um, hard cheeses. Um, and you get it in smaller amounts in uh, like meat. Can't remember if you get fish, but um, the 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 one that it's highest in um, that's highest in it is a Japanese food called natto. You run natto, no. so you get little uh, beans and you um, you 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 put this uh, bacteria in it and uh, creates this fermented bean sort of goo called natto, and it's really high in in vitamin K too. Nice. Uh, but the ferment, it's not that that stuff doesn't taste good like sauerkraut or, or kimchi does. It yeah. tastes kind of kind of like ammonia. It's got oh, a sort wow. of ammonia hit. Yeah. So it'd be good if you mixed it in with something. Yeah, exactly. You can get it from places in Glasgow. You know. Yeah. Do it frozen. I used to get it a little bit, but it's soybeans they use, so like they don't agree with me. They sort of give me a, a reaction, so I don't eat it anymore. But um, I'm really interested in vitamin K and the and, and fermented stuff. Do either of you know anything about the chemistry of fermentation? Like why it's why it makes stuff good for you? No. I know that the the um the the 
fermentation is the uh, is bacteria, right? That's um, converting what you've got into something new plus waste products, mm. uh, and that one of these sort of almost byproducts of it is the uh, the vitamin K. Um, I think other people talk about the fact that it's it's a lot of fiber as well, and that's a that's an interesting discussion about whether fiber is actually necessary or not. So yeah. there's, there's a lot of people eating um hundred percent carnivore now, and they're finding that their health's got really good, mm. and they're sort of people are like, oh, we need fiber. I'm like, well, I don't <laughs> seemingly, you know, what's going to happen? Who knows? Yeah. But. Uh, I I know what you mean when when I eat fermented foods I feel really good. Yeah, I don't know what. Could it you is. describe the way in which you feel good? Is that a mental thing or physical or both? When I, I noticed the first time I started eating kimchi and drinking uh, kombucha, it was almost like a euphoria. Yeah, like mild, obviously not okay. bipolar, but yeah. it was like a low level euphoric happiness and I think it was just because I was eating so much rubbish and then maybe I had all this goodness in my body yeah. but no way. I remember saying that to my, to my pal I was like I actually feel euphoric and I was googling it and I think <laughs> that can happen yeah. that can be I, I don't know if it's a side effect or mm-hmm. whatever but definitely like instant happiness and all that kind of stuff and there's something addictive in it as well. Because yeah. mm. I eat it and I'm like, I want more. Really? Yeah. The kimchi. What's the best thing to make with kimchi, do you think? When I, I remember think... putting on a cheese toastie and it's fucking great. But I guess that's not right. See, that'd be amazing. That does sound amazing. Anyhow, I'm like, I'd fucking eat it with shite, to be honest. It's that good. No, <laughs> <laughs> but like... We'll I've get always... you back on the podcast and we can arrange that. <laughs> I've had it, see those noodles... Uh, I can't remember the name of the noodles. They sell them in kimchi cult, but right. I've been getting them from Chinese supermarkets. Just a big bowl of noodles and then a couple of spoonfuls of kimchi in it. Mix it up, a wee bit of pepper, bit of Himalayan salt and maybe garlic, mm-hmm. some garlic in it. And that's lovely. I haven't, I haven't had it with anything else that's not been Asian food, no, but that's no. not been on purpose. Yeah. I can't think of anything else I would have it with. But to be honest, if I had a jar in the house, I'd eat it out yeah. jar. Yeah. But so, uh, sauerkraut, I've been eating that by everything. Mm-hmm. Sandwiches, or I'd put that on a vegan pizza or whatever. It's oh. Yeah, well, good. On a sandwich, I used to a sandwich. Yeah. Mm. Uh, who, who cooked when you were wee? Oh, this is a question. <laughs> uh, my mum was the cook in the house. Uh, definitely, my mum. But a weird environment because I've got three older brothers, yeah. and my dad and my mum cooked for everybody. Mm. But you know, <coughs> stressful, stressful life being a mum. Yeah. I can understand that. So she was cooking din- dinners at different times and being stressed, and because people were out at football and the other yeah. one wasn't, and all that. Yeah, so she just kind of made what was there. Mm-hmm. Or if I came back from primary school, the dinner was on the table when I wasn't hungry. Mm-hmm. 
but I think she's got is that a famine mentality mm-hmm. when she was younger you better eat your food because mm-hmm. that's the only dinner you've got yeah. so I found myself eating dinners when I was not hungry but I'm not having a go at my mum but because she was stressed I think she never knew what portions were so I can look back now and I'm thinking as a child I was probably eating a dinner that was too big mm-hmm. for a fully grown adult man never mind a child mm-hmm. you know big plates and mints and I always remember see when I was getting a wee bit older like 12, 13, 14 and started taking an, an interest in what like I'm going to start cooking for myself mm-hmm. even when my mum made mince like see in a packet of mince it says like cook for 45 minutes she would cook for like an hour and a half mm-hmm. it was always like unbelievable amounts of time cooking wise so if I hadn't I don't I've always hated mince and totties because of childhood mm-hmm. because by the time it was on the plate after my mum cooked it it was completely tasteless mm. like I can't taste anything for this so I think any nutrients or anything that was in it was just boiled away mm. to be honest but I my mum was the cook but uh, I my mum was the cook mince and ties is like my favourite childhood meal I well your <laughs> I don't really know how she made that boiled it don't know well, I mean mince and onions no, my mum would have been very similar, I think. Mince and Bisto. She made... She, she made a really good fish and chips. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She used, uh, you know, the Ruskaline uh, breadcrumbs, orange breadcrumbs, uh, for the fish. Really liked them. Yeah. Um, my mum my had to deal with me, who was, like, the fussiest eater in the world. She actually got pulled up at my primary school um, they thought so I would only eat a dry roll and um, what's it called Ribena wow and uh, so they pulled <laughs> okay. her up they pulled her up because they thought she was neglecting me <laughs> and she was like listen you, you try your best to get him to eat something yeah because um, I was very very fussy until I started working in restaurants I started working at a fancy restaurant in Glasgow when I was 16 and uh, as a sort of part-time job and I was like what is this all this food all this like shellfish and yeah. seafood and stuff I've never seen the likes yeah was, totally taste bud sensation yeah I was like what, what, what have I been doing all this time I used right. to have like oh, the, I th- <laughs> my my idea of um like a culinary adventure at that age was a microwave frozen doner kebab I used to get from the supermarket. Farmfields? Probably Safeway. Yeah. And uh, it was like a treat for me. Sometimes I'd have two in a row. Yeah. Horrifying. You know, like ready to, <laughs> yeah, go, don- ready to go doner kebab. So it's the bread with that spongy doner meat and the onions all frozen together. Yeah. Oh. Can you imagine what that tastes like after it's been nuked in the microwave? And I used to that was like that was like my favourite thing for a while. It is interesting to see because uh, my my son is nine and he's eating apples pretty good because my girlfriend is chef as well. Uh, and I mean he's just I don't know, I guess he just 
if you're lucky, likes he likes nice touches. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's because he's just always been given it a lot, but uh, I sometimes worry, you know, oh, it's really important to instill good habits at this age. But then you think back on what, on what you ate as a kid, and I remember eating loads of shite, and like coming home from school and just eating about five mini pizzas. Yeah. Like ones. Yeah. And uh, it kind of that massive an influence on what you, what you come to eat. As an adult. I think it, it remains as memories and fond fondness. And yeah, but it's good that you're giving them good food and stuff, and I think it does help because when I think back in my childhood, I never had a good childhood with it. I wasn't aware of nutrition or health. Or, and it, years in high school as well, we live, uh, the school is near a town centre, mm-hmm. and there's a chippy there, mm-hmm. Chinese. So Every lunchtime, you're going down and getting a Chinese meal deal, which was a big tub of rice with chicken balls and chips and curry sauce. You're gorging on that. Yeah. You're going in a Morrison's and getting a full packet of donuts. Yeah. And then you're going up the road and getting your dinner yeah. as well. It's and dreadful. It I, even when I started going to the gym, I think I started going when I was 17 and used to go to the gym and then have a chippy after it. Just did not know that you're not supposed to do that. Aye. I never knew that. Nobody told me that. Yeah. I remember... This is when I first became aware of like what do these words mean because I just I was a donut kebab diet. That's what I ate four times Frozen. a week for the chippy. Uh, four times a week. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like getting chest pains when I was younger and I went to my GP and she weighed me and I was like nineteen stone. I even remember sitting in the GP surgery with a can of iron brew and a pie for Greg's. <laughs> and it was just a humiliating thing, like, what, what, what have I been doing? She was showing us this chart of rage and all that kind of stuff, and I was just like, what, what is that? Just n- no aware. Kind of forgot where I was going with that. But, uh, no, I was, I was kind of similar with, like, in terms of education, like even if you do happen to get a message about it when you're young, it's a mixed message. Yeah. We're told all sorts of things. One week one week it'll kill you, the next week it'll save you. Yeah. And in the end you just go, you know what, I'm just gonna eat what I want. Yeah. And that's often left to who's advertising hardest at you, who's got the most space in the high street, just Greg's or, you know, Nestle or Whoever selling yeah. the chocolate or whatever. Yeah. So what chance do you have? That's true. I used to do wrestling training when I was younger. Oh yeah. Olympic wrestling. Grappling. Yeah. Yeah. And even my coaches never told me about my oh. diet. Wow. I just get put. If I was heavier at the time, I just wrestled heavier people. Uh-huh. They never said you need to eat healthy. You need to watch what you're doing. I never get told anything like that. I went to the boys' brigade for about fifteen years. Yeah. And. Which is like the scouts, but yeah. sort of a Christian angle. Yeah. I went there for a couple of years myself. And nobody ever told me about my diet. Mm-hmm. So I never had that from anyone in my life until I started getting chest pains and I went to the doctor. It's mad that it got that far. Yeah. I reckon um, the good thing about the internet, one of the good things about the internet is the share of information leads to conversations like this because we might never have talked about nutrition if we just knew each other through stand up seeing each other in person yeah and uh, 
I think the fact that we do different ways of eating hasn't stopped us from having a really like interesting chat about that sort of thing, which I think is really good. And um, I reckon that I say this all the time, but you can't put the you can't put the genie back in the bottle, and everyone's talking about it now. Yeah. More and more, and so people, at least when you've got the information, you know if you're going to go to the Italian place for the chippy for for lunch at school, that you are making a bad decision. Yeah. It's not like it's a mystery anymore. Yeah. Um, I reckon if that's like the main thing that comes out of this podcast, that'd be great if people just feel more aware of what they're eating. Definitely. Um, I think we should probably wrap it up. Looks 90, 90 odd minutes. No questions left? I think so, unless you've you got any for us. I wasn't really looking at the, the top questions. That's, yeah. that that's probably a sign of a good conversation. Yeah. We didn't have to fall back on it. No, when I asked you about the cook, that was just... Oh, okay. <laughs> but I, I'd like to say my go-to I mean, obviously my go meal was a kebab. There's a chippy beside my house called Gills. Right. When I was feeling bad, yeah. that was my meal. It was chippy chips with donut meat, uh, raw white onion. Mm-hmm. cheese and sauce and I probably had four of them a week wow until I thought I was going to die <laughs> <laughs> but I that's it Cheap I want to say I want to yeah. say something in favour of the humble kebab because it's been getting bashed a bit here <laughs> <laughs> I think it can be wonderful yeah. I mean I would like nowadays I guess in fact you know what fuck it I wouldn't take away that I would just go for that yeah but you know it can have, you know, slow roasted fatty meat. It's all amazing. With the salads nice that they salads, do. Like, tasty sauces, like a tahini, yogurt sauce, garlic sauce, nice spicy chilli tomato sauce. Oh. You can't beat it. Yeah. You can probably eat it. looking at me directly. <laughs> <laughs> like a challenge. That's not fair. Yeah. Um, where can people find you to hear what you're talking about? I don't mean like physically. Um, Aye, at the bus stop beside girls in Springfield <laughs> <laughs> at 10 o'clock, trying in to a kebab. No, I've got Facebook. My Facebook is Darren Connell. I'm on Twitter as well, uh, which... The Vegan I'm, Gorilla. Well, I've changed it now. <laughs> uh, the Vegan Mountain. So, you know, it changes between the Vegan Mountain and the Vegan Gorilla. <laughs> but my username is just Darren Connell. I've got Instagram. It's Darren Connell as well. But I... Uh, that's about really. Just really? Get me on there. I'm not doing my podcast anymore, but I'm pretty vocal on my diet yeah. on Instagram and stuff. So you always see that. I'll always be charting my journey, my fitness journey. And just general hilarity. Yeah. Yeah. Bants. Brilliant. All right. Thanks again, man. Yeah, no, thanks, thank you man. for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Signing off. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Uh, please don't forget to jump over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. Every five-star review will get a, fa- a voucher for 25% off at paleocanteen.co.uk, which is my company and the show's sponsor. That's 25% off at paleocanteen.co.uk when you leave a five-star review. It's appreciated.